Steven. Joseph. What's up? Welcome back. Another mm. podcast episode. It's been uh, it's been a little while. A couple, couple weeks couple since. couple weeks. Berm. We Lots has happened in a couple weeks out there. Yeah, it's a whole different market. <laughs> it's a whole different market. We were just... I mean, it's all we're talking about around the office right now. Um, it seems like it's kind of all anyone's talking about right now. It seems to be the hot topic again. I mean, we can talk about these topics and we have touched on these topics interest rates and and things in past podcasts but i think it's relevant for us to get into it a little bit again and um kind of maybe give give some opinions that we have and other opinions that we've heard um and you know talk about how because we don't know the true answer is we we don't we we don't know but we can also talk about how um you know we we do see this in this season a lot every year um every year right yeah. so um you know it's i think it's relevant for us to touch on it at least a little bit yeah so i want to i'm gonna have my laptop open a lot today because i'm gonna i want to bring up some stats and things um to try and make sense of what's going on in the market and i'm gonna pull up an old podcast not today but i'll maybe share it into this uh into this podcast as well this right now the market is seeing a softening and there's a lot of articles coming out in the newspaper or on the news um, or social media just talking about how the market's going to crash or things are dropping because interest rates are rising, inflation, everything going on. Um, there is a softening happening. We definitely are feeling it, but that's also called spring. Like It's just a lot more houses are hitting the market. Buyers have a lot of options. Yes, there are some buyers that are nervous about the rising interest rates because their affordability is changing. Um, but the market typically will climatize to that. Um, we're still at almost record low interest rates. Like the interest rates that we're going up to are still historically very, very well, I read, low. I read so variable rates still today are somewhere around 2.3-ish percent. Yeah. And I mean, if you're at a 2.3% mortgage, I mean, you're still doing a pretty damn good job of... of you know, having a really a low interest rate, Yeah. you know, because historically we see over, you know, years and years around a five or 6% yeah. um, interest rate. Right. So the one thing that is good about this is for the buyers, these articles are causing people to want to finally put their houses on market and get them sold because they think that the market's going to change and they could. Um, and also is allowing buyers, a lot of the buyers to step back and maybe not want to invest as much and buy those second or third properties, which is allowing first time buyers, second time buyers to finally have options again. So we're seeing, we're coming more back into like a little bit balanced market. I still think it's in favor of the sellers, but we're seeing options being more available and ready for buyers. And I think that's going to continue most likely from now into the fall. Um, this is what the buyers have needed. But the funny thing is, where are all the buyers? It's like they're oh, they're getting they're getting fearful of all the articles and things they're seeing and everybody's been waiting for a softening we finally get a softening and there's no buyers to be found I'm like this is the time we're there's going to be months from now or a year from now we're going to look back and be like that we should have bought then i mean windsor's got so much coming to it i i think the buyers um need to open their minds to possibly realizing that right now may be a good time in the long in the long term yeah, I think it's important for people to remember that over time, y- y- your investment's going to go up in real estate. You know, there have been dips and valleys. 
in the past. You know, we've seen huge interest rates in the 80s, right? People remember like in the teens and even into the low 20s, which is, you know, crazy. And, mm -hmm. and I really, truly don't think we'll ever see that again because the Bank of Canada understands that by doing that, it, it, it would literally just destroy what economy we have, right? Yeah. Um, so there was a dip there, and then obviously there was a dip in, in uh, parts of the 90s, and then there was a little dip, um, and I say little, around 2008 and 2009 because it didn't last very long. Um, if you look at the historical average sale price values in those times, they dropped by you know maybe 10, 15%, and then within a year and a half, they were back up again to where they were. So um, yeah, dips do happen, but um, real estate historically is always uh, an appreciating asset. And I think um, whenever somebody has tried to time the market, whenever you've really tried to time when you buy and when you sell to try to maximize, uh, I, I think most people... Well, it's any market, real uh, real estate, stocks, right. anything. They, they, you should never try and time the market. You you deal with the hand you're dealt at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're somebody who's looking to do a quick flip, maybe right now is not the time for the next three to six months. But um, if you're looking to buy a home... As long as you don't plan on selling during any of these soft times, uh, you, you're fine in the long term. I mean, look at we have a five billion dollar EV factory coming. We'll talk about that. We have feeder plants that are being announced. We have other big announcements that I believe are coming. Um, Windsor, Windsor. I don't even think we've scratched the surface of what Windsor is about to do. Well, and We're, that's what I that's what I like to always touch on too. Is when you read these articles, these are usually national articles. These are things that are written about places like. Toronto and Vancouver and these really um, metropolitan centers and and these places are already double the value or, or triple the value of Windsor so we're in this huge growth period here in Windsor and we're like you're saying we're seeing these you know plants go up and the bridge being built and the hospital being built and Maybe. I think you know even with rising interest rates and some some fear factor entering the market. I, I, I still think Windsor's gonna continue on a growth pattern. We might I in fact I know we're not gonna continue to see, you know, twenty five percent year over year increases, but we don't want that. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you know, we want to go back to the historical maybe five to eight percent per year increases in the market um that that, that are more realistic. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I I don't think their plan was to ever stay at these low interest rates. These these low interest rates stuck around for quite a while. And obviously, were some of the reason we've seen this big increase in market and average sale prices. But I, I think this is the right thing that has to happen for buyer's sake. Um, I would love to see a more balanced market. But to think that this market is going to crash... Um, or drop and if it did for long I just don't see it I I'm not saying it can't go down I actually predict the next few months probably we'll see a small decrease in average sale price but to see an absolute tank out of the market or um, some long recession uh, southwestern Ontario is a, what is the, a very high population of Canadians population um, it's a desirable place to live. We have, and that's what matters in, in this kind of a market. Incredible investments coming to this city. Mm -hmm. um, very low supply, immigration still coming in. Um, 
at record at record paces. I just don't see how, in a supply and demand level, that this this will sustain um, what people think is going to be this long recession that's coming. Um, I actually think the opposite. I think Windsor is going to continue to see an increase year over year um, in the long term. Mm-hmm. Now the next the next twelve months i think or at least the next six months we'll probably see it fairly tame just people got their freedoms back they want to go on yeah. vacation yeah um or the coming, pan- out of coming in coming out of a pandemic um the interest rate rising all these things that are happening i understand why it's softening it makes sense and things are still selling they're actually still selling well but these articles are definitely fear-mongering people into not buying when they're going to look back and probably see that this is the time to buy i'm going to use an example um, April of actually, I'll share my screen on this one. If I go to Windsor 2020 average sale price by month, actually the price didn't even drop much, but I'll go to action as far as, um, number of sales. So if I go to number of sales, you'll see. In April of 2020, we hit a pandemic. Everybody didn't know how to take it. Nobody knew what to do. There were a lot of articles about the market was changing. So everybody freaked out and sales completely tanked for April. Um, Not anywhere close to what it would have normally been in a spring market. Um, And then shortly after May came back, June came back and we had a booming summer. Um, I expect this year will be a little similar. I think this this initial announcement of the rising interest rates, the highest increase in 22 years of 0.5, um, I expect there's going to be a little bit of a softening and some fear in buyers, and then I think it's going to pick back up. And buyers are going to look back at April and May as maybe an opportunity they should have jumped on. Um, and we've seen it before back in 2020. And I'll, I'll share my screen um, or I'll share this uh, this graph in the... Um, in the video. In the video, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we can only do our best to sort of predict what's what's going to happen, right? Um, y- you know, we, we, we can talk to death about it, um, and, and we can be surprised just like everybody else. But I, I think one of, the, one of the things that we constantly come back to every spring, every January, February going into the spring is the same, it's the same rhetoric that we hear we get these these articles that come out that say you know the market's going to crash or the market's going to correct itself or you know this is going to happen and this is going to happen and and um that initial fear or that initial hesitancy that people show um tends to wear off going into later spring and into the summer again i i just i don't think we are in a position right now for at least windsor real estate to take this big nose dive well, it just doesn't make sense. You don't, you can't have investments and jobs coming into a city and see a recession. I just, it doesn't, I, how do you have a major border crossing, the biggest border crossing in North America being built, all the jobs that that's going to bring in, all the jobs that that has, you have a $5 billion investment, the biggest investment, I believe, in Windsor history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only EV plant. It's the first of its kind for Canada. It's bordering the U S. So obviously where we're located geographically with the major border city and having the EV plants, that's building an infrastructure that's going to 
significantly grow from there. We already have another $1 billion investment coming for a feeder plant. Chatham just got another feeder plant announcement. Um, and then there's some other big announcements that I'm not going to speak of yet um, that we believe that are coming. Um, you can't just have this many jobs and these many investments coming into a city and expect a recession, um, especially when we're significantly still below national average and provincial average. Um, yeah, there's too much room to grow and we have so much space and land. We're just begging for investments. We're begging yeah. for the, the Windsor that everybody's used to and what everyone's thinking is is a Windsor of the past. Right. Everybody's everybody's got their mindset on Windsor 10, 20 years ago. Right. I understand that this city is not known for having investments and a lot of infrastructure coming in, but it's changing. It's yeah. and it's changing quite quickly. Um, I'm going to share my screen again. This is uh, this is out of Vancouver. So, but this at least shows you um, a trend in real estate. It doesn't matter where it's from. It could be Seattle. I don't give a shit. Um, this is a trend in real estate and showing how real estate continues to grow year over year since 1977. So, similar similar to Canadian real estate, there was there's dips and valleys and and it continues to grow over time. So you'll see in 2007, 8, 9, the drop only lasted two years. Mm -hmm. From from when it started to drop to when it got back to where it was, it only took a two-year time. And that was like absolute an absolute record-breaking for, for Canadian history, especially the U.S. economy. Um, this was a global, global issue. So you continue to go up here, you'll see... Um, it kind of bounced back and forth until this this huge spike that we saw over the last five years and then you see that quick drop that we had um sorry this is what vancouver had in 2016-17 we were talking about this the other day because this is vancouver's vancouver and toronto saw a dip member back in 2016-17 yeah, and windsor yeah. continued to grow and this actually goes into what you were just saying we can't take articles that are based on the larger cities um, as something that's going to happen here because in 2016-17, Windsor saw significant growth when other cities like Toronto and Vancouver actually saw a big dip. But even then, let's go to their dip that they had. That dip that they had only took one year to get right back to where it was. So if we see a dip again, historically, they jump back right away because investors jump in, people buy up properties for cheap. The Bank of Canada usually steps in to give some sort of relief, whether it's interest rates or whatever incentives um i think what we're going to see if you look at that graph is is look at look at back through the 80s look back through the 90s yeah. the early 2000s look at look at the slow growth on yeah. that graph you yeah. know it goes up it goes down a little bit it goes up but over time that graph is on an upward trend yeah and that means real estate values are increasing probably in that I think it grows five percent per year. It's on somewhere around sort of, sort of full. Thing, right? I think I added it up. Um, at least Ontario, I believe, was a four percent average year yeah. over year. So I, I mean, again, we we don't have a crystal ball. We can't, you know, forecast exactly what's going to happen out there. But we have indicators, and we have past experience to draw from, and we have you know a lot of um, knowledge in this industry to be able to predict and tell people sort of what to expect at least in the in the near future so i'm gonna try and find one here uh, yeah i want to try and find one from 
Okay. I mean, this actually isn't a bad graph. I don't. Was this? Oh, I lost it. <laughs> Whatever. That's, that's Wikipedia for you. Um, this um, one. What does this one even say? Oh, annual CO two. Yeah, I don't emissions. think we need to worry about the CO two. <laughs> this emissions. is a good. This is a good um, graph. Yeah. Why does we could it... switch? We could switch gears a little bit and, yeah. and just touch base on um, on the other uh, big thing that may, maybe even a lot of people haven't haven't heard about yet. Um, but I think the Canadian Real Estate Association is doing a pilot project um, that is going to sort of work on changing the way that bids are submitted in in these situations where we've got multiple offers coming in on properties and i know a lot of um you know people's bones of contention in this is this is the blind bidding process and and i think a lot of that comes along with um, misconception as to sort of what benefit they would get if this blind bidding were to go away and uh you know i'm definitely not afraid to speak my mind on what i think um you know, are the implications of getting rid of blind bidding and, and what the implications are when, um, you know, and what people can expect when they go into a, a situation where they can see everybody else's bids and um, all of a sudden you've got sort of an almost an auction style process. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, my two cents. And we talked about this over the last few years because this has been something in the air for a while. But listen if you're a first-time home buyer and you're not in the market yet and and you think that blind bidding is hurting you uh, listen to what I say here because it's a level playing field in my opinion when there's blind when there's blind bidding in the sense that you as a first-time home buyer with maybe only five percent down you don't have deep pockets you don't have a ton of money to spend you've got a cap to what you can spend you have to stay below that because you can't afford any more but, and, and we have great success yeah, with our buyers. Absolutely. Because of the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the playing field is leveled in the sense that even the investor that is interested in that property that you're bidding on has no idea what other people are bidding. So they have to do their research and figure out, okay, what's the market value on this house? How much am I willing to spend on this house? Yep. And then they have to take their shot at it just like you have yep. to take your shot at it. Yep. If we get into a situation where every bid is public, and you can put your bid in and you can see it in real time and where you're ranking and how much lower you are than other people, you, with your 5% down and your ambition trying to get into the market, are not going to be able to beat or match Somebody with deeper an investor pockets. with deeper pockets than you that can say, I'll just wait until... It slows down and then I'll just pop an extra thousand bucks on top of you right. every single time yep. until you can't afford anymore. I know for Windsor, for Windsor, this open bidding would be, uh, I think would be an issue just because there are people coming from other cities with deeper pockets and the first time home buyer that's maxed at four is going to get beat by 401, 402 every single time yep. because they just can't go any higher based on their approval amount. Um, with the blind bidding, Homework has to be done by the agents and the buyers. And I understand there's people coming in from other cities that have no idea how mm -hmm. the the sales numbers and they're coming in and they're not doing homework. They're just slapping down prices. Right. And you hear of these crazy prices that are going. All this means is for out-of-town buyers... 
that aren't doing proper homework, if instead of going 80,000 over the second person in the second placed offer, they can see, oh, I don't need to go 80 over, I'll just go five over. And if they try and beat me, I'll go five over again and because I have all this room. It's actually just gonna make it easier for them, I think. Um, now, I think that's been our biggest issue. With the blind bidding, you have people that are uneducated, they come in and they just make up a number based on their knowledge of the city that they're from, not realizing that that number is a lot higher in Windsor terms, right? I would also argue that that's not like the norm. Like, right. like it's not like that happens we on every houses house. yeah. that every single time we're seeing a, a, some some Toronto or some out of town buyer right. come in and blow everybody out of the water by a hundred thousand right. dollars. But those are the like, stories everybody hears. Yeah, right. those are the yeah. stories that everyone hears about when they happen here and there. But you know, I would say on the majority of our listings that we see, it's not like we're we're getting yeah. blown away every time by some one offer. That's no, most of them. Most of them are actually usually very respectful. Like. There's always a range. Like we predict that it's going to come in around this range. Us as the selling agents will see, you know, majority offers come in and around that range. And there usually is that one or two that that push it because they want it for whatever reason. There's a motivation, a subjective value. Um, but on open bidding, I feel like emotions are going to come in high. Mm. People are going to be like, they're going to stop. They're going to forget. Like they're going to forget that homework even exists or what houses are worth because they're just going to say, well, if somebody's willing to pay 402, then I'm going to 403 because I know somebody was willing to pay 402. And then somebody says, well, I'll go to 405. And it's just going to keep going and going well, and going is, and it, going like, and going there used and going. to be something that you would see in offers all the time right. called an escalation clause. Right. And it was essentially that just in the offer on in your schedule at the end of your offer right your your condition and it, and it didn't and it didn't catch on everybody shut it down right because because the issue there was one of 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 privacy and i don't really know how they're skirting around this but it, you know you're not supposed to know what the other offers are legally right, right. um and and there's a range of reasons for that i mean to know somebody's financial position or to know what somebody's maximum value is because think about this, say you're competing against somebody and you end up finding out who the agent is and, and who, who their clients are, and then you find out through one of those offers, you know exactly what their max is. Mm. What happens when you're up against them on the next offer? Right. Or the next offer after that? You're like We shouldn't be knowing each other's price maximum ranges. price values and, and mortgage pre-approval amounts. Well, and and Windsor's things, a small right? city. Exactly. Windsor's a small city. Um, I mean, there might be some, in this pilot project, there might be some like, Bitter one, bitter two. We don't know the name of the person, right. that kind of thing, right? And I, I'm, I actually would pr think that's probably the way that they're going to do it. But my other concern um, is, I was talking to an agent. I'm not going to say who this morning, um, and I, I haven't looked into this 100% on how this pilot project is going to be run. Um, but I do believe that sellers are going to have the option to sell the way it's been, or to sell under this pilot project, and. I don't know which one's more in favor for the seller, and we'll see which one starts to catch on. But it's not like this is going to be on every house. This is if they elect to do this particular this particular style of bidding. And then what I heard today is whoever is the highest offer doesn't win. It's not over. So there's a bidding process, and it's it's just like an eBay where it's like click 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 mm -hmm. click click. Everybody goes up, and whoever ends up winning. There's a timeline on that, and then the real negotiation starts. 
So because the highest offer on all the bids may not be what the seller is willing to take. Sure. So what happens is that moves over to the negotiating table and then the seller can still counter higher and then they can start the negotiation well, yeah, because, from there. Because the, yeah. the bottom line is you can't tell a, a seller this what isn't an to sell their house for. Right. You can't tell the, them right. you know, that, that just because you have an offer on the table, you yeah. have to let this go. So there's still negotiating that's going to happen. So just because this project is allowing open bidding, whoever ends up having the highest bid still has to go to the table and negotiate it out. Um, the terms, uh, conditions, closing, deposits. Right whatever it might be. Uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I know the only country that seems to have adapted this is, I believe, Australia. Um, and that's the only one um, that seems to have taken on somewhat. But and I don't what, know if and that... what I've read is that Australia and New Zealand, who I think were both doing some style of this, their mm. prices were increasing faster than they were here. I'm looking that up. Australian real estate. Um growth i mean again it will just be it, it will just be adapting to a new style of doing things i don't want people out there to think that this is some magic bullet that's gonna fix you know pr what's happening with prices out there because the, the bottom line is what's really happening with prices out there is that we have way more buyers than there are houses to satisfy and this supply issue is what's causing these prices to go up. If no matter what, no matter it's it's supply and demand 101. If you've got 10 houses and you've got 100 buyers that that are fighting for those 10 houses, they're going to continue to fight each other until the prices increase because that's the way it works. When you have an in-demand product, that the prices go higher, right? And and really nobody is controlling that. We don't we don't as realtors pick what something ultimately is going to sell for. Right. We don't pick, if you're the listing agent, no matter whether you list the house low in a seller's market to draw in more people to, to view the home, or it's a buyer's market yeah. and you list high because you know that somebody's gonna come in and try to negotiate you down, it doesn't matter where you price that home usually relative to where it's actually going to sell. It may take you longer or shorter to sell, you may have a tougher time selling your house if you price it incorrectly. But ultimately, if we're doing our job properly, we're able to find out what the value of that home in a range is in that neighborhood for that style of home. And that's around where it's gonna sell, right? And if the demand is high and those numbers get pushed higher and higher and higher because people are fighting for these properties, then we use that data set to determine what the value of the next house that's going to sell right in those areas are that's that's what we're doing we're not just picking numbers out of the air and deciding hey you know what go spend a million dollars on this property i only think it's worth seven hundred thousand i would never do that mm -hmm. but i'm going to look at that neighborhood and go look i mean yes i know it's listed for 7.99 but Look, all the all the houses in this area are selling for 950, 960, 970. We have a pretty darn good idea that that's what this house is going to be worth. So that's what we base our bid on. We're not just picking a number from the sky. Right. And we're not quote overpaying by $200,000. Yeah. We know that that listing price is not the market value if we of that were, home. If we were in an old school strategy that was used 
seven years ago and on, um, a house 970 would have been listed around a million and left room to negotiate down. And I always say to buyers or even parents that you know are, are watching what their kids are doing in the market, if I had a house for you at a million and said I can get it for you for 950, you'd say that's great. I fifty thousand off the off the asking price. But if I said I have an eight hundred thousand dollar home, and you have to go to nine fifty, they're gonna be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" But in the end, it's still the same house for the same price. It's just the way you're interpreting it. Yeah, well, and yeah. it's it, and and it it's changes, the way it perceives. It changes with the type of market that we're in, and right. that's what people really. I don't think they grasp it because right. when you're not in the real estate industry, you don't really know the terms, and right. we try to educate people on those terms. We are in a seller's market. That means there is very few homes on the market compared to the number of buyers that there are out there that want those homes. In that old school market that you just talked about, that would be a buyer's market. That yeah. means there's way more houses on the market. You have to leave yourself room to negotiate. Yeah. Buyers out there for those houses. So yeah, you you use the opposite strategy. You price it high because you know when you have somebody that comes in that is actually interested in writing an offer, they're gonna want to knock that price down. So right. you're gonna you're still marketing your house to try to get the value that you right. want, the value that the market says your house right. is worth. You're just using a different strategy to get there. Yeah. Right. Um. I found an article on Australia. <laughs> the ultimate reason real estate in Australia is so expensive. <laughs> Most Australians believe that homes are the ultimate rock-solid investment. We've had 25 straight years of economic growth 25. here in Australia. So everybody thinks that, and there, this is on an open bidding system. So everybody thinks open bidding is going to help anything. Well, Australia just had 25 years of economic growth in real estate. Um, there's all, The lunacy of the Aussie real estate market today um, shows housing in, is in a rocket in a about rocket. to explode. Um, and then... Uh, there was one other note in here that I wanted to bring up. Uh, they believe the current uh, insane home prices are fully justified. Anyways, it looks like they're they're breaking records just yeah, as fast. There was something here about fifty. It's the not, last fifteen it's months. It's not a fix. I want people to understand that. Like, you know, getting rid of blind bidding here. It, it, this oh, is they're up forty the percent. They're this up forty percent in the last. Uh, up forty percent in the last year was in this article. So forty percent. They're up forty percent. That's no different than where we're at here. Well, it's more. Right. So, <laughs> th right. You think you think that that's some some silver bullet that's going to come tame mm -hmm. this market, but but we're not. You know, look, and and the problems are not easily addressable. That's right. the issue, and and I think that's. You know, it's the government looking for ways to sort of appease the masses and try to mm -hmm. figure out how can we, how can we get people to to calm down a little bit in this highly volatile um, scenario that we're all in now because of the pandemic and politics and all this other stuff going on. But, you know, ultimately the 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 issues that we need to address are are one of supply and one of of, mm -hmm. of development and less red tape on developments and more densification. And, you know, maybe that means that more we're going to see more condos in cities, even like Windsor, not just in places Town like homes. the GTA, townhomes, um, you know, dense li denser yeah, living, yeah, like we're denser living, living up, right? Yeah. Like building we got a, a lot of jobs to nine in story, immigration. Um, you know, condo building where, yes, maybe you're only getting 600 yeah. or 700 square feet for, you know, what you used to be able to buy a nice detached home for. But guess what? That's the reality of living in these cities especially in Southern Ontario where mm -hmm. 
it's a desirable place to live. There's going to constantly be immigration coming in here. There's constantly going to be growth and people want to live in these areas, which is going to continue to push that demand. And if that demand is high and the supply isn't meeting that demand, it doesn't matter what you do with the bidding. It doesn't matter what you do with the small policies and the small things that are changing. What matters is we need to keep up with that, that supply in different ways to, to satisfy that. And you know what? This isn't a new issue. Like I've talked to clients. I talked to um, some older clients of mine that sold their house with me a couple months ago. And they told me their story of what it was like for them to get into the real estate market. This was 30 some years ago. And they moved into a mobile home. Mm -hmm. There, you know, even back then, you know, in the in the seventies and eighties, for them to get into the housing market, they didn't have their eyes set on the beautiful, you know, three plus one bedroom, three bathroom brick ranch in a beautiful neighborhood right off the bat because that was unattainable. Mm -hmm. They said, "How are we going to get ourselves into this market? What are our options available to us now? Can we get into a small condo? Can we get into a mobile?"